More times than not, the conversation about the future of healthcare leaves out an important perspective that is perhaps the most critical, the role of the patient in shaping the future of health. After all, what one does preventatively to embrace a lifestyle of health can have a more significant impact on their healthcare needs over their lifetime. And as we live through the health crisis the coronavirus is having on our country, our individual impact on public health is all the more emphasized. From wearing a mask in public to maintaining social distancing from friends and family, I often ask myself, what long-term changes will the COVID-19 crisis have on our mindset in society? Welcome to The New Normal, conversations about the future of healthcare from Touchpoint Media. Through interviews with leading industry experts, this program explores how the current public health crisis is forcing our industry to transform and change. In this episode, I speak with Tom Heilman, president of Heilman Group, a healthcare marketing agency that delivers high-touch, data-driven marketing solutions for leading healthcare organizations nationwide. Tom has more than 20 years of experience as a multi-industry expert and leverages strategic insights for measurable engagement, business growth, and success. A nationally recognized speaker and a former scientist, Tom's perspective provides insights into putting customers at the center of your digital strategies. In this episode, Tom and I discuss the changes to the patient mindset in a post-COVID-19 world. So I've seen a lot of studies, Tom, around how consumer behaviors are kind of shifting after the coronavirus pandemic has come upon our society. Do you believe that consumer mindsets are actually changing when it comes to their actual role in public health? I do. I think people are finally, I won't say realizing, but starting to realize the importance of public health. I think traditionally people have thought about vaccinations or taking their children in to get their shots at certain times, but they didn't really think about the implications of what that is and what that really means. Because largely over the last hundred years, we've stamped out all the major disease and conditions, polio, right, mumps, measles, all those things that used to be more impactful to us in society. We've done a good job with vaccinations and public health managing that. And COVID has kind of resurfaced that. The United States in particular have not really been faced with this. If you would maybe move yourself over to the various Asian countries, they have faced various different pandemics over the years, MERS, SARS, et cetera, right? The avian flu, various different things like that. But here in America, this is the first time I'm stretching way back to the 1918, I guess, is when the last time we were faced with something like this. It really has changed the way we we model ourselves when we actually go out in public. And I'm seeing now that we're wearing facial coverings. We're even looking at one another a little bit differently when we see other people in society. That mindset is, is going to stay with us for a while, I think. I mean, I would have never considered in an American society going into a store and seeing three-fourths of the people wearing masks, right? In my lifetime, when I've traveled around and maybe went to a Disney World or something where you'd see a few people, masks and whatnot, or at the airports, uh, now it's the majority of Americans are doing that. And so that's been a that's been a big culture shift. It's not been something we've traditionally done, but it shows the adaptability of the American people in adjusting to this, albeit fairly slowly, right? We haven't, as you've stated before, having SARS or MERS at really any level. And largely we've been protected by the big oceans on each side of us from things coming into this country over time. But with the interconnected nature of transportation and all that changing, we're going to see more of this. And I think this is kind of our wake-up call. 
I recently was reading an article that was talking about the mindset of, of people under crisis, and they can go one of two ways. One of them is where they really rally together, they band together, and they see a sense of like a greater community with their neighbors, maybe with the communities that they live in, and they all feel like they're in it together, which is kind of a pervasive thought that I see uh, in society today. But on the, on the flip side, there's also this almost the polar opposite approach, which is some people actually tend to root into nationalistic trends and stay away. And 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 I see that playing out in American society today, right? I we, we see that there's these factions of people that are responding differently. Some want to open the economy and they're armed and they're going out and buying ammo and guns and things like that. I'm wondering if that is kind of pervasive of what, what we traditionally have called like that American spirit, that sense of freedom, what we want for freedom. What are your thoughts about that? I think there's kind of two concepts in what you described there. One of them is kind of in the last decade or so, the rise of nationalism and kind of the tribal nature of politics. And I want to get into that, but the dichotomy of how we we as Americans view the world and view America, right? And I think we're we're suffering from some of that right now. And you can see it in response as a society to COVID, right? Some some people believing in the science, some people not. Some people thinking it was going to be, it was going to pass us by. Other people believing it was going to be a huge health crisis, which has turned out to be. So, I think there's that. I think the the American, just our society and our kind of our cultural bent of the little bit of the cowboy in us and how we kind of went through and how America came to be. Also, the individualistic spirit is also sometimes at odds with community, right? Now, I think we're seeing the best of both sides of that right now, or, or the worst, perhaps, how you look at it. We're seeing lots of people come together and solve problems in terms of whether it's getting food to people who need it, uh, whether it's uh, industries in the U.S. changing what they do to provide productive equipment or necessary supplies. Uh, but we're also seeing the divisiveness and public protests uh, which is truly an American thing. The, the right to protest, of course, is baked into our Constitution. We're in unique balance as a country. I, I hope that we swing more towards being united, right, United States, uh, as opposed to divided states. But we're seeing kind of both of those play out right now. And it's really up to us and what we decide how we want to be, what we want America to be is where we're going to end up. And extending on that, because we're talking about the future of healthcare, right? And and health and healthcare, I should say. I'm wondering how that divided spirit, well, I wouldn't even say it's divided. I would say that we have different perspectives because we still, ultimately, we all operate under a society where we're all obeying the laws, even in our rights to protest. How does that apply, do you think, to our perspectives on health and healthcare? Well, I mean, I'm, I think you know my background's in science, physics, mathematics, so I tend to hold that rooted deeply in it's my my view of the world. So, however, I don't think it's America's view of the world, right? I think that we've, the last probably five to 10 years, we've strayed a little away from science, even though we went through, which is fascinating to me and what's what I love about this country is through the technology revolution that we've encountered in the last decade, which is nothing but science on steroids and changes in the culture to, to, with that, we've really, I mean, if you think about what we have in our smartphones and um, all of that is, is technology, all the software, everything that supported us working remote from home. That's all science, right? But in public health, it's it's been largely we had we still have snake oil salespeople and folks who are peddling these things that aren't based in fact. And we have a society and politics for certain where everyone seems to believe in their own facts or truths. I think that that's been a, a from my perspective as a man who believes in science has been a downward trend. 
However, the virus is unimpacted by uh, words or what we believe it to be. Uh, it's, it is only it is a, a science-based enemy, right? So our only way to solve that is using science and our society and culture to change our behaviors to meet that. So I'm optimistic we'll make those changes because at some level we have to. Uh, or we'll continue to bear the brunt of the, the, the incredible human toll. And it's a human toll in both of health and, and obviously uh, devastating loss for people. It's also uh, a huge economic toll that's going to be taking right now with, I mean, 30 million plus Americans out of work. I mean, the largest it's ever been in the recorded history of the U.S. So, and then it's also, I, I would think that something that sometimes that people don't talk about is the mental toll that we're taking on it, right? As a generation was kind of scarred and changed their behaviors by the Great Depression, my grandparents, this is kind of our version of that in terms of how do we deal and mentally prepare and then, and then transcend this, right? We, we're in the fight now, but we're not always going to be in this fight. We're going to need to get beyond it. And do we have wherewithal and the discipline to get there? So I guess to answer your question, I'm hopeful. It's not exactly what I'm seeing right now. I think we're in for some real rough waters the next couple of months as we balance the dual purposes of health and the economy. We're going to see some um, fallback from that. You know, what's interesting throughout all of this too, Tom, is that even though there is sort of this delicate balance of operating in the interests of the public health and also operating in the interest of ensuring that our economy is sustainable. When you see these studies that are done about consumers and their perceptions of hospitals and health systems and doctors and nurses, they actually have elevated. I mean, the trust in those institutions have become much higher throughout this pandemic. But as we kind of pivot to what the new normal is, do you feel that the greater perceptions that they have about these organizations will still remain or will they change? I think it's only going to strengthen. So if you're thinking about this from a local health system perspective or hospital system, and I've seen the same studies, I think that you have there. I mean, the trust in those are it's at some of its highest levels ever. And the trust from those local health systems and hospitals compared to our public policymakers or our government institutions, I mean, it's it, orders of magnitude higher. I think that's because when we think about our hospital systems and our health systems and they're local, we know the doctors, the nurses, the clinicians, the people who work there, right? And we can see what they're doing. They've helped save a friend, a family member. They've helped us through difficult medical issues of our own or our children, right? So we have a lot of trust in them because we've seen the results. I think that's what we're really seeing is people trust that the front line of America right now are the healthcare workers, right? Whether they're the emergency workers or the frontline clinicians, nurses, physicians, uh, the people taking care of us. Uh, and that's who we've seen, who we've rallied around. So I believe the trust is there because they trust in the people who have done, done them or their family members or someone they've known well. So I, I think that's only going to improve. Because at the end of the day, healthcare is local. People often say about politics, but even more in healthcare. I mean, when you have an issue, you go into the emergency room or the urgent care or your primary care physicians. Now, the nature of how we interact, telehealth, how we access that is probably another question we can chat on here in a minute. But I think the trust is there. And I think what for this, the health systems, they need to continue to earn that trust by communicating consistently with people, giving them a message of hope and how we defeat COVID. And then also, it's an area that they can own for a long time. And I think there's actually an opportunity for some of the larger health system leaders to take those public positions about what, what is the path forward and what is the best way through, because uh, they have the most credibility with it. They will be our trusted institutions and the physicians, and nurses, and clinicians inside of that being our guidepost moving forward. 
it's interesting how you brought up how that care is going to be delivered might be a different a different change in behavior because in the same studies that show that we have that trust in the individuals, the doctors, the nurses, that sort of thing, many of them are also saying that they don't want to be going back to a hospital. In fact, we've done a really good job of diverting people away from hospitals and, and actually encouraging them to consume care through telehealth, telemedicine, those sorts of things. I just had a recent engagement with my primary care doctor, and I did it all through my chart, which is the first time I've actually ever used a patient portal to communicate to my doctor. And that's funny because I'm a digital guy, right? Kind of ironic if you think about it. Do you think we're going to start to shift the way we connect with them in these ways? And, and is that going to be a behavioral change? I believe so. I mean, if you look at the statistics about uh, folks going either back to work or back to public places or back to a hospital system, the majority, the vast majority of, of Americans do not they believe it's safe. In some cases, as high as 80%. Even though where I'm from in Ohio, it's been, the number of cases has not been large compared to other East and West Coast locations. And the vast majority of people who are in the health system aren't related to COVID. People are very concerned about that. I was talking with one of my customers who has a large set of emergency rooms, and they've said that they saw the number of heart attacks they see in the ER is declining rapidly. And it's not because there are less heart attacks because people are so afraid of COVID and what going there may mean that they are literally staying home instead of going in when they have a heart attack, which is a horrible health approach, right? So I think it's going to change. And I, th I think that it has to change too. I mean, just, I think there's a couple factors here, not only COVID, but the cost structure of healthcare is a tremendous issue. One of the quote, silver bullets is telemedicine. But if you think about what that means, the adoption of telemedicine has basically flipped on its head in the last 90 days. Literally, people are now going, doing more telemedicine than they're doing in-person visits because they can't. I think that's going to stay because of consistent changes to behaviors and the health systems are going to have to change to support that. So let me give you a couple examples. My children are a little older now, but when they were young, we used to go in for our immunizations and our well baby checks where they get measured and they would get their shots and, and we'd have our interaction with a physician or physician assistant. In my opinion, that's going to completely change. I think that you'll be doing all of the diagnostic interview and discussion through telehealth and you're literally going to come in. In five minutes, you're going to have a, a separate door, which is unrelated to COVID or any other condition for anyone being sick. You're going to come in, the, the, your baby or youngster is going to get shots, maybe a few key measurements or metrics, right, in terms of maybe head circumference or weight or something like that. And then you'll be out. And it's going to be more like a retail encounter when you're there inside of the health facility. And it's going to be quick because people aren't going to want to be sitting in a waiting room. Can you imagine sitting in a waiting room in a COVID world, Chris? Yeah. How horrible that experience would be, right? And that's kind of where we are right now. So I think waiting rooms are going to be a thing of the past. So all those old magazines that are five years old probably won't get read anymore. Pediatrics is going to change specifically for those kinds of things. I think most of our, you and, you and I, in terms of physicals, through my chart, through a telemedicine, we may only need to go into get some diagnostic tests or a blood drawn or maybe something else, depending on what our physicals may find, right? An EKG perhaps. But we're not going to be spending time in the, either in the waiting rooms or probably meeting our physicians in person nearly as much as we used to. Those consumer desires are going to have great impacts on the health systems and how they address that. And these remarkably large facilities that we built are going to need to change in terms of how we interact with people. And being the optimist I am, I think this is also how we bend the cost curve. Because those virtual interactions will be a lot less expensive than physician face-to-face -face time. The navigation of the health system becomes a lot easier. And then home health care is also going to be key in that. So I, and it, people feel safe in their homes. 
if you look at all the statistics of what they're doing, people are staying in their home and they feel safe there. Throughout this pandemic, we have been engaging with other brands on a, quite a regular basis. And, I, and now I'm thinking about places like Walmart or Amazon or Target. And all of those brands that I just mentioned are making aggressive moves into the healthcare space because in part, they want to be part of the new healthcare home. As we look at where healthcare is going to be delivered in the future, if the consumer themselves, I think they'll be at home through a telemedicine consult would be probably the first place, but then maybe their local Walmart or Target or CVS or wherever they may be, that might be their second option, right? Rather than going over to the clinic where potentially there's still COVID patients being seen or the hospital. It's going to be a delicate balance between that. Even before COVID, all, all the folks you talked about, the large retailers, all those folks were trying to find a way in in healthcare. The only thing I will, I guess I will push there, maybe COVID puts them in a, the same kind of disadvantage from a perspective of COVID concerns, because obviously there are large facilities with lots of people trafficking in and out, and you might encounter a lot of them. So they're certainly part of the solution, but they, they probably suffer a little bit the same that the clinics do, because even if you expect if you have hundreds or thousands of people rolling through a Walmart, people are going to be concerned some of them may be infected. They have a little bit of that to lesser extent than, than I mean, hospitals would always joke is where, what's at the hospital? The sick people, right? I mean, that by, by nature. So we're going to see the, the changes in the healthcare facilities where they're going to be sick care facilities and healthcare facilities. So where certain facilities are just going to be for wellness and they're not going to, that's how they're also going to differentiate and make people feel safe. You're going to see the change in the players. You're going to see more of that, ret- I, call it, I call it retail mentality of Amazons and Walmarts and Targets and CVSs and Walgreens of the world. They're also physically close to everybody in terms of it's a five-minute drive or 10-minute drive for, I forget, like 80% or 90% of Americans within five or 10 minutes of those, as opposed to a freestanding clinic facility. It still comes down to trust. Um, and I don't know when people think healthcare, if they really trust those retail organizations uh, nearly as much as they would trust the local health system. Now, we've been talking about healthcare, which in, in a very rough sense, healthcare is really when you have a problem, when you need to be seen. The, the flip side of that coin is public health, right? Which is a lot of the things that we're talking about, social determinants of health and working preventatively to prevent having to go to a telemedicine consult or a hospital or what have you. I'm wondering if you feel that the consumer mindset is going to start to understand their role in prevention. I've read some recent reports where consumers are saying while they're at home, they're trying to eat better. They're trying to exercise within their homes. At the same time, they're also consuming much more alcohol. They're probably suffering with mental anguish because of the situation. What are your thoughts about the consumer kind of shifting more to being preventative? Well, I hope that's true. In the end, the majority of what kills Americans is preventable, whether it's cancer, cardiovascular, and I've seen those uh, similar statistics, right? People are doing much job, more job, better job of cooking, cooking more healthy from home. Um, so the amount of dining out has by almost, I mean, design, it has to, uh, given the restaurants are closed besides takeout. But I also saw the statistics on alcohol usage because if there's not entertainment options in terms of sporting events or concerts or any of the social things we got together, people are replacing that with alcohol. And of course, the mental stress that goes with it. So it's kind of a, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde diet a bit, right? I believe that public health will become more important because I I see the people I speak with, people are spending a lot more time listening to public health officials, whether it's from the federal government or from a state government. They're seeing doctors and physicians 
and clinicians on there talking about what works and what doesn't. People knowing who Dr. Fauci is, there's probably one in uh, uh, 300 million that could have named that gentleman before, and now maybe a third or half Americans know who he is, right? People are starting to recognize and see what those level of professionals and what that brings to us as a society. Because in the end, we are our own defense against this. Now, the question is, will people take that responsibility and take action from it? That's the real question of what's going to happen. But I, I don't know. I'm starting to see the signs. I mean, people are altering behaviors with masks and handshakes and things like that, that I think shows positive signs that people are taking public health pretty seriously now. I'm very optimistic that that is something that we'll be thinking about, and it isn't something that will go away in six months. We've been struggling with this for a number of months, and we will for probably many more months, if not years in the future. Unfortunately, coronavirus, COVID-19, won't just magically disappear. They're still going to be there until we can actually find a massive way to inoculate us. But it makes me also wonder about our current perspectives on flu shots. Do you think that that perspective is going to change? I think I'll make a, a couple speculations. One, I think we'll see a massive jump in people getting their flu shots this fall. I'm not going very far out on a limb on that. So the numbers are pretty um, dismal in terms of his, uh, historical usage for the flu shots and beliefs that people have about getting sick from the flu shots and things like that. Specifically, I think people were thinking about kind of a fall wave of COVID at the same time flu is, so it'd be very difficult to discern the difference. And I think that'll put a lot of fear into people. I think anti-vaxxers are just so deeply held in their beliefs. I don't know if they'll change. Like, I mean, it's hard if you look at the science behind it. Um, I mean, look at something like polio, which is an example I always use, right? Most folks don't even know what polio is anymore. It used to be pervasive in our society. We just live with it until... We didn't when we had vaccines, right? And measles, people used to be used to people actually dying from measles. And now we don't even think about that. Some of those are pretty deeply held beliefs. And the only way that most people change is kind of through personal experience. And unfortunately, perhaps they're going to have to see that impact themselves or a loved one before they may consider it. So one of the downsides of the highly technological society we have now is there's a lot of echo chambers out there. The search engines and social media are very good at feeding you more and more of what they know you probably like. As a society, we get into these very small bubbles that we live in and we don't necessarily see opposing sides of view. And that's for both sides. That's not, I mean, there's things we can also learn from each side of the argument for this. So I would hope they would change. I don't think it'll go easily, though. I mean, many of those are pretty deeply held beliefs that in their minds are foundational. My view is always as a person of science, what's the data show? And then let's now analyze that and make our hypothesis from there. And um, that's not necessarily how many Americans would think or believe. Or humans for that matter, right? Let's be fair, right? <laughs> you know, not, on a global level. <laughs> yeah, it's not America. That's a human thing. It's probably much, much, much more well said. So there's one other part of the equation that I think is really plays into um, the whole consumer mindset and their their perspective on healthcare, and and we have to talk about that, which is costs. It's not lost on on me that when we see this pandemic play out in American society, those that are socioeconomically disadvantaged tend to be more perceptible to being succumbed by this disease. 
They're the people that are working on the front lines. They're the people that are essential workers, so to speak. And they usually do not have access to well-affordable health care. This has been part of our zeitgeist for a while. And is healthcare something that we should consider kind of universally for our population? And you know I'm dancing around the words of like single-payer insurance and how do we treat the cost for that and, and even the whole concept of the public safety net. There's a lot rolled into that. If you look at COVID and its impact, you just start to slice it and dice it socioeconomically. I mean, it disproportionately impacts minorities and low-income folks. People have been dancing around that a lot. And the folks who, who have to go to work because that's how they put food on the table. At some level, they have they take risks because that's what their family needs them to, to, to take. They live in more dense uh, housing areas in terms of more people per uh, housing unit or home or apartment or whatever you might want to say there. There's lots of factors that makes lots more direct contact and the inability to not work to support themselves so and their families and the work from home options aren't there either. It's all things that plays into what makes COVID very uh, dangerous and difficult because you have to f- go out and they also have roles as you align that may be front lines of healthcare or frontline workers, essential services that need to be done. That's something that not a lot of people are talking about. We probably need to talk more about as a society. Universal health care, which is kind of the, thing, the question that you're dancing around a little bit there. I just don't see, given how we act as Americans and consumers, that we're going to go to a universal model like what Canada has. I don't see the, the political will or people's desire for that. Right, Even in this, to, to this day, I mean, people trust the local hospital system. They don't necessarily trust the federal government response, right, or even the state look at the statistics. So I just don't think it'll happen Um, at some level. Whether it's a good thing or bad thing is probably a different debate. I think people should have access and the ability to access healthcare whenever they need it. Fundamentally, a society like ours should be able to take care of its citizens regardless of income or any of the attributes. It should just be, you should be able to be, to be, get healthcare, right? Unfortunately, I, I like to be optimistic. But that does seem like a long stretch. It's interesting to think about when this pandemic started, there was a commitment from the federal government and also from all the insurers that any kind of uh, treatment testing for coronavirus that will be done free of charge. So in effect, aren't we right now under a sort of a universal health care for at least one condition, right, which is coronavirus? Well, we are, but... There aren't tests available. It's easy to promise services and, and there aren't really therapeutics, at least none that have been proven yet. I've been working on multiple ones and certainly vaccines are a long way off, right? Uh, I guess it's it's easy to promise that you can have free tests if there aren't any tests to actually do. So, and I shouldn't say there are any, there are very little, very few, right? If we're going to really challenge this, t- tackle this thing, we have to have massive testing be way beyond that from my perspective. They've essentially said, hey, if you have COVID or want to need to be tested or have it, we're going to pay for all of that, both the private insurers and the public options, right? The issue is is that we just haven't really done that. Tom, I know that your expertise is trying to help organizations understand customers and patient journey throughout all of this. And it's as we think about what the new normal is, it's going to be a critical part of us as we kind of look at how we transform healthcare. So if we think about the, 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 some of the big drivers in, in society around this, one is people are feel, feel comfortable and safe at home. And telehealth is providing lots of opportunities for us to reach out, reach into the healthcare system without going into the healthcare system. With the aging population, home healthcare is incredibly important because we don't necessarily have nursing homes, of course, are a pretty rough place right now 
if you think about this, I think that that, that home health care is going to be driven because people are going to want to, as they say in the industry, age in place or age in their home, as opposed to going into a facility. I think that'll only be heightened by what's just happened because um, people are going to be more and more concerned about going to the facility when it comes to infectious disease. Home health care, I think, and telehealth combined the kind of digital engagement are going to be our answers. And specifically, if you think about the technology and the evolution of SaaS and the Internet of Things, we can be putting devices and monitoring into people's homes and helping them at, a, at a, an enormous level and keeping them in the home which also helps with COVID, but it also helps with a myriad of other cost structures. So probably not seeing a lot of it right now. Some healthcare organizations are building post-COVID digital engagement for people in their homes and measurements and devices and technologies to help them through COVID while they're not in a healthcare facility. So we'll see some of that, but I think that'll be a major outcome out of, of COVID. It just kind of reinforces the fact that care in the future is not just going to be delivered within the four walls of a hospital or a clinic, right? It's going to be delivered at the convenience of actually the, the, the patient. We're in the cusp of that, right, of being able to monitor so much of our daily life activities and health and wellness and also mental wellness, right, too. Things that certainly blood pressure tracking. That's the foundation and that's what gets me excited about the future of healthcare, that an event like this is going to force healthcare to change and force us as a society to change. Now's that time. I mean, it's, it's a great opportunity, specifically with all the technology tools that we have available. Can we as humans uh, adapt and make that change to how we behave? And, and I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll make changes. I'm optimistic too, and appreciate your insights, Tom. Uh, your background as a scientist, your expertise around understanding the, the customer and the patient and, and how they interact with, with healthcare, it's been very valuable for this conversation. And I appreciate you speaking on behalf of every individual in the United States. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I can do that, but I can give you my, my humble view. So. I really appreciate your time, though, today. Thank you so much for the conversation. All right. Take care, Chris. While many patients have a commitment to following good health behaviors to improve theirs and others' health, these good intentions may fall to the wayside when faced with a healthcare crisis. The public health pandemic that COVID-19 has created in America is the most disruptive crisis that we've lived through in our lifetime. While the healthcare industry struggles with not only fighting against the novel coronavirus medically, but also competing priorities that favor other societal demands over public health, I wonder, does the public health role that we as individuals model through this pandemic run counter to the American desire for freedom and individual liberty? You have been listening to The New Normal, conversations about the future of healthcare from Touchpoint Media. If you enjoyed today's program, please take a moment to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you downloaded this show. The music from this program is I Dunno by Grapes and is available as a royalty-free download on ccmixture.org. To find out more about Touchpoint Media, visit us online at touchpoint.health.